Would you turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 6? We're going to start in verse 41. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died. But he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. This is the word of the Lord. One of the most remarkable discourses that Christ ever gave that thinned out the crowd after the sermon. They were totally baffled, confused, uh, just angry, walked away. He claimed divine origin. He claimed to come from heaven. Uh, he said, eat my flesh and blood, which I cannot imagine what that sounded like to a Jewish ear at this time. And so it's a profound, profound statement. We need to get a real feel that I think we, we don't get. We, we step in here out of our secular world and we don't have the feel of what's going on. Let me give you the feel. Uh, imagine you can't have it. This is the bread right there. Uh, within 24 hours, he's fed them. 5,000 men. Some approximate 20,000 people. Just yesterday, 24 hours. So what's on the mind of the audience who went all the way across and around the lake to tracking down at Capernaum. They've come for one thing, and one thing is on their mind. 
this. Not another donut, but bread. Can you hear me out there? Yeah. Am I loud enough? Okay. This is all they got on their mind. And even when they bring up their rebuttals and their dialogue with Christ, they refer to bread. Moses gave us bread. You've only done it for one day. He did it for 40 years. He fed 2 million. You fed 5,000. So all they've got on their mind is bread, comparison, and what you're going to do for me lately. What you did yesterday, do another sign, do another miracle. Totally, totally uh, in the dark about what he is. But if you'll make us bread, John says in the narrative, we'll make you a king. And he went to the mountain to pray, to get away from them, walks across the Sea of Galilee to join his disciples. But all in this setting they've got on their mind is bread, physical bread. We want bread. We're hungry. We want a free feeding program. We showed up, feed us. And Christ is going to pivot off of this one subject on their mind. And he's going to take it as his opportunity. Let me tell you about another kind of bread. I'm going to tell you about a bread that comes from heaven. It's a kind of bread that will not meet your need for a day, but for all eternity. It's a bread that's not made of water, flour, and so forth. This bread was made in heaven, as it were, that will become human, flesh and blood, and will give its life for the life of the world. And so there's three things I want us to consider about what Christ says. What is the bread that he's talking about? What is it? Tell us what it is, Christ. Uh, two, what can it do for me? What can it do for me if I eat it? And I think the third thing, where can I get it? Where can I get it? And so because of the narrative, there's a lot of dialogue here and verses I am forced to just pick out for you, verses to substantiate each point. So I want you to follow me on what is this bread? And that donut is greasy. Just a moment here. Don't be eating this stuff. Um, I want to wear a sign that guy wore. I overcame anorexia, weighed about 350 pounds. So uh, that's all right. You didn't get it. But uh, what is this bread? Follow me. Verse 27. Do not labor for the food that perishes. Have you ever heard the phrase, you earn your bread by the sweat of your brow? He said, don't waste your life just pursuing the perishable. Quit wasting your life chasing that which only satisfies. Don't you, have you ever got up from a meal and you says, I don't know if I'll ever eat again. And believe it or not, you were sneaking to the fridge before you went to bed. It, it never ends. It never ends. It never satisfies, ultimately. But he says in verse 27, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, 
for on him God the Father has set his seal. How long was the bread in the wilderness good for? One day. And when the greedy ones and the hoarders began to just accumulate it, the next day they found maggots in the bread. Good for a day. Daily bread. And he says, don't spend your life preoccupied with that which is so temporary, vanishes, perishes, rots. Rather, why don't you think about a bread that gives eternal life? Now, this is absolutely radical. We've never had any bread on the market yet that can do this. What is this bread? This bread gives you eternal life. So don't look for it at the store. This bread, maybe you need Nutri-Loaf or something like that, but it won't give you this. Verse 33 says, the bakery for this bread is located in heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So the bread now is identified as a person. You never name the bread he. It's an it. It's not animated. But he said, the bread I'm talking about is a person that came from heaven and is going to give his life. Bread doesn't die, but a man can die. And he gives his life to bring life to the world. He goes on. Notice verse 35. I am the bread of life. What is he talking about? He's using the bread metaphor, the bread analogy to simply say, let me use bread that seems to be on your mind constantly. Uh, let's just take it to me. I am God's bread for your hunger. And he says this, look at verse 41. He says, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Verse 50, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Verse 58, this is a bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. I am the bread that I am talking about. Get that now. Move. Move from this. A physical, temporal, perishable bread. Forget about that. Transfer your thinking to a new kind of bread that stands before you. Think of me as God's bread for you. And this bread is different than any bread ever made before. So he's trying to transfer them from physical, temporal. Think of the eternal state. Is it not amazing when you read Luke 12 that he says of the rich man that as he prospered, he, he said, I've got to build more barns. I've got to store all this stuff. And he began to think, if I could build enough barns, get enough money in my retirement account, I can quit working, party, have a good time for the rest of my life, 
And all of his effort was to get his 401k underwritten, retirement, everything to live in this life. That night, God came to him and he said, I'm going to take you home tonight. I'm going to take your life. I want to ask you several things. Who gets the barns? Who gets all the 401k? Who gets your money? Who gets your house? Then Jesus made his point. So it is with a man that spends all of his life working for the physical and has no time for his soul. You've done nothing to make yourself rich towards God for eternity, but everything you've invested your life in, you're going to leave tonight. It's all gone. We won't bury you in a U-Haul, and we won't do like the Pharaohs who said, bury my wife, my kids, my monkeys, my pets. They've done it. They've got them. They've dug up these pyramids. Take all this with the afterlife. And guess what? It's still right in the pyramids. The sarcophagus is there. The, the embalmed Pharaoh is there. The ones that haven't been robbed and stolen. You can't take it with you. But Christ struggled then to get men and women to transfer from the physical, from the temporal, to the eternal, to the divine. And this was the struggle with his audience. Think of how much work guys are willing to do just to have a nice boat that they sink. Or a nice car that wears out. How long does a new car feel new? Usually about the fourth payment. <laughs> you know, it, it, it can get old very quick. So he says, what is this bread? Uh, I am the bread. And, and this bread, in verse 51, he says, Notice what it does. Uh, they said, hey, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Uh-oh, whoa. Wait, what are the ingredients of this bread? My flesh and my blood. Now, he was not teaching cannibalism. No one ever ate the body of Christ physically. No one even tried to. It's not sacramental here. Many will say, ah, this is a pre, you know, prelude to communion. This is not what he's talking about. He's saying the bread that comes down from heaven is me, the I am, and I'm coming with flesh and blood. Just like John introduced his book. For the word will become flesh. And so this bread is flesh and blood, a real humanity. See, if Christ had stayed in heaven, he could have never quenched our thirst nor our hunger. The bread had to come in reach, and it came within reach in a body. He came in flesh and blood, and he says, you must partake of this bread, all that I am. Now, here's the mistake. If you made this communion, he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have eternal life. Would we want to say that about communion? No. Unless you take of the juice and take of the bread, you don't get eternal. No, 
The sacraments don't give you eternal life. Baptism doesn't give you eternal life. Only the bread from heaven gives you bread and gives you eternal life. And so he says, but the idea is, think of me, this real incarnate in a body Savior. You must take in all that I am, and you must take in that I will shed my blood. You must take in a real Christ, not a Gnostic Christ that is ephoral, which is uh, some created spinoff or some ancient dualistic God. No, this is the God of Bethlehem, the God that was born with flesh and bone and blood and dies a death on the cross. You must partake of all that I am. This is the bread I'm talking about. And when you assimilate this bread, it will have an effect on you you cannot imagine. And I'm going to tell you what this bread does for you. Eat this bread, and this is what it will do for you. Uh, It's very unique. Look at verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Has he ever said this before? He just said it in John 4 to the woman at the well. The same battle. I'm trying to get you to move from the water in Jacob's well. I'm trying to get you to move from the physical to the spiritual truth I'm trying to teach you. I am the drink that satisfies. I am the meal that quenches hunger eternally. And trying to get this before them. And one thing about human beings, they're always hungry even when you fed them. They're always hungry for something they don't have right then. And Christ is saying, liken me, I am the meal that quenches. And I am astounded by this verse uh, in John 4, drink of me and you'll never thirst. Eat here, you'll never hunger. He'll say it again in John 7, I'll give you a spring of living water springing up in your innermost being. What will this bread do for you? Hear me well, hear me well. He is the meal that eternally satisfies. The famous line of Augustine, thou hast created us for thyself, and we remain restless until we rest in you. Well, it's the same thing as the diet from heaven. Man, I think of the rich man in hell. He's still thirsty. People will be hungry in hell. People apart from God, they will have a greater hunger than just for food. It will be for relationship. It will be for that deep gnawing. America is abounding in depression and in loneliness. The pharmaceuticals are making billions of dollars giving people enough pills to try to get them out of depression anxiety, and to squelch their loneliness. And even a dingy, dark-looking bar looks good when the vacuum is so big that you'll buy the drink just to be in the company of somebody. The business is booming. We're not building less bars. We're building more. We're not selling less drugs. We're selling more legally and illegally. What is it? There's something I want to hide. I want to fix. I want something that I can't get through normal means. I'll pay any price 
you want. Just cut me an ounce. Maybe that'll do it. And then I'm emaciated, and I go down to 95 pounds, and you can't hardly see me because my eyes have seemed to evaporate in my head. I've seen them. Carol and I went to see a girl to give her food and to help her. I couldn't see the girl because she was sick and on a bed in the back of the apartment. But the girl that came to the door looked like skin and bone, looked like sticks looking at me. And it was some mother's daughter. It was somebody's child that had been wasted by drugs, trying to find the fix that never could fix. And here Christ is saying, I'm the bread. I am the fix. I can quench your thirst and the inner man. You could die of physical starvation, but in your inner man, you could say, all is well. I'm feasting on the manna from a bountiful supply. I'm feasting on the bounty of heaven. I found the feast that satisfies the inner hunger and unrest in my soul. So he said, what does this bread do for you? It satisfies. So when I'm out witnessing, I could say, uh, why don't you try Christ? And if you don't like it, get a new one in about three weeks. Or, uh, I, I, you know, when you pastor a long time, you got washout cases. Well, what happened to them? What, uh, and I was telling first service that uh, we make more excuses for people who uh, wash out. Uh, I used to hear this one. Well, nobody discipled them immediately. Uh, well, I, know, I think that's wonderful. Disciple. Someone help bring them under their wing and, and get them established. But I'm just saying this. There is nothing that can substitute for a new birth in which you really get the real bread and you get the real drink. And without all the follow-ups, with all the preachers and all the church, Jesus saves and he satisfies. He satisfies. And I ain't, I ain't waiting on a bunch of preachers, and I'm not waiting on a bunch of church programs to keep me saved. I drink of a water that quenches your thirst, or he's lying. He said, I satisfy. I can do for you what no woman can do for you, no meal can do for you, no drug can do for you. I tell you, come to Christ. Come to Christ. He's satisfied. You've tried everything else. Why don't you come to Christ? He satisfies. Well, I think I tried Christ. Uh, he wasn't, no, no, you tried religion. You tried a preacher. Uh, you tried, you never got to Christ. Everything else on the menu might disappoint. When you get to Christ, friend, he says, you'll never hunger again. You'll never thirst again. That's what it says. That's what the verse says. And so I say, you never got to the meal, did you? You didn't like the waiters. You, you didn't like the ambiance. Uh, they didn't. They, did you ever eat? Well, no. But that waitress just didn't smile. Oh, get out of the way. I came for the meal. Have you ever had great food at a dingy place? Yeah. You can put up with a whole lot if the food's good. Huh? Huh? And you know what? It's like that one time... I, I got on uh, to one of our men. We were talking about our facilities and some of the things we need to do, and uh, it's kind of, and we need to clean this up and that. And, uh, and one of the men said, "Well, man, we've got to do something about the front. Uh, it, it just, we just don't have curb appeal. I mean, you don't have curb.
curb appeal. Did, what, what chapter in Acts was that? <laughs> what, what church girl, what have you been smoking lately? I said, I said, curb appeal. We started in a dingy dance hall. And we sprayed it to knock all the vodka and the Jack Daniels odor from the fight on Monday night because they had dances on Saturday night. We met on Sunday. And we'd take beer cans off the exit sign. And, and, and our kids met on dirt floor with a Phil Ross and them in the back. And they had a bar back there. And they taught our kids there. And our evening prayer meeting with the men was at the bar. We'd just go up to the bar and pray together. <laughs> we did. It's the best prayer meetings we had. More guys showed up. Man, serve them up. No, we're praying. Oh, okay. That dingy. I mean, come on. The Rio Theater. Anybody remember? I do. Curb appeal. Curb appeal. How about Christ appeal? Christ is what satisfies. We'll meet anywhere, any place, tent, hot, cold. God's people meet because we're getting to the meal and the facilities don't matter. This is the nicest thing we've ever had. But friend, if, if Christ isn't on the menu, I'm moving out. I'm going to a tent. I'm going to a field. I'm going where he's on the menu. I want Christ. I want Christ. And I want to tell you, that's the only reason I'm in the Bay Area. I'm trying to tell this hell-destined generation, there is a meal. If I can get you to the table, if you could ever get a taste of this wonderful Savior, he will satisfy you. He'll fulfill you. He'll forgive you. He'll give you eternal life. It's from Christ. Christ alone we preach. No other. We don't need a doctor up Jesus. He's plenty good. He's more than you can ever want. I'm getting in the mood to preach. You hold on with me. I'm getting in the mood. I took too much medicine. I preached in my sleep in the first service, but it's wearing off. It satisfies. And I love what he says in verse 47. Notice what he says. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes will in the future get. Now, you don't know the Greek, so I can't hold you accountable. It's a present. Has eternal life right now. Aren't you glad you get it now? You don't have to die to see if you get it. You get it now. It's not add up all the points. Because if that was necessary, none of us would get it. It's a gift. You get it immediately. I... I you know, it's torture the way we used to do Christmas, especially me being the baby in an abused home you know, with my brothers and sisters. You know, we got a gift for you and torture you. Uh, you might get it, hiding it, and all this stuff. He doesn't do this with the eternal life. I'm offering it. Come get it. You can have it right now. You don't have to wait. Right now, you can have it. He says, Come. Verse 54, he says, Come. You can have the feast now. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. In, in verse 50, 51, he said, if you eat, you will never die. Maybe Jesus stuttered there, you think? No. No, no. no, he speaks. He does not stutter. 
I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give, I give for the life of the world. He says in, uh, I want to lay my hands over, he says, you actually won't even die. Uh, which one is it? Uh, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Now, now where else can you get bread like this? And, and now, you've got to explain death. There's three forms of death in the Bible. Physical death, okay, spiritual death, separation from God, and then he calls second death in Revelation 20:15 that when he casts people into outer darkness or into the lake of fire, this is the second death, he calls it, which is really spiritual death made irrevocable, that it's permanently shut off from God. We were all born spiritually dead towards God. We, we did not have his life in us. See, God is not everybody's father. Oh, the fatherhood of God, the brotherhood of men. We, Jesus says in John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil. So the devil's got a family too. And we're not talking about your mother-in-law. <laughs> we're talking about uh, the devil's got a family. And you were born in it. And I was born in it. We were by nature children of wrath, Ephesians 2, 3. By nature, I was a child of wrath. And I was an object of divine wrath, John 3, 36. I was abiding beneath the wrath of God. And then physical death started from the time we were born. And uh, see, by the time you get my age, you seldom need mirrors. You just take it by faith that you're still handsome. <laughs> because but gravity has a way of making you look like Willie Nelson. <laughs> you know, the, the road looks like your face. You're on the road again, is right. Yeah, yeah, it's your face. You know, you are dying. And everybody in America, so many millions are being spent. Oh, what was the, the guy I saw that inspired was Joan Rivers. We were going through TV. I just love, you know, just inspiration. Uh, not really. Uh, that face, if they do any more lifting, there won't be any skin. <laughs> Doing everything to stay young looking. Pay a lot of money. And many, many, if you look younger, it doesn't make you look better. And you're still going to die the appointed day. And you may die with a wheat muffin in your mouth. But you will die the day God wants you to. It's appointed to man to die, right? So physical death, and when you think of Adam and Eve, the, the day they ate of the uh, tree, they died that day spiritually. 900 years plus later, they died physically. But death began to work in them, began to die. And so when he says, you will not die, I understand this to be that, yes, physically I may die, but death for the believer has been transformed because of eternal life. He who has eternal life immediately steps out of temporal existence and immediately begins to enjoy the benefits of eternal life. And you've been enjoying it the moment you got saved. It's in you, but one of the great benefits I live for Christ to die, I gain. Uh, I leave the body, I'm with Christ. It, death 
has been forever changed for the believer. Hebrews chapter 2, Satan no longer has power in the realm of death where he used to, through fear, torture the people of God. But he says Christ has eliminated his power so that now the cemetery's been lit up and there death doesn't set in, we transfer. It's, so our appointment is not physically, you know, when you get a little bit older, the thought of dying doesn't bother you too bad. If I just know I'm going to drop the temporal, the limited, uh, the temporary, and boom, I'm going to just step right into the presence. Is that true theology biblically? It, it seems that we go immediately to heaven. I'm not in a holding chamber. I go immediately into heaven. And so dying's not too bad. I was terrified at the thought of dying before I became a Christian. I never knew I'd be at so many funerals. But I was terrified at the thought of dying because I had the wrong street address I was going to. But when I got the right address, I'm not too, I'm not too depressed about leaving this world and going to my permanent home. It doesn't depress me. Well, uh, how do you get this bread? If it can do all this for you, how do you get it? Um, number one, verse 29 says you can't work for it. You've got to put faith in Christ. You can't earn it. He said, don't be working for that which will perish. Why don't you get that which will last? And they said, what can we do? Well, we want to sign up for a works program. He said, this is the work of God that you believe on me. Can you believe in Christ? Listen to me. Are you willing to trust Christ that he is the meal that can quench the thirst and the hunger of your heart? That's the issue. See, many, the ones that are amening have already done it. They know. They know he's satisfied. But you may be here, and you may be hungry, lonely, depressed, feel guilt, shame, all the emotions that us sinners feel about our, our lives, our choices. Uh, it's a horrendous thing to feel good about yourself and be a good sinner. We make so many wrong choices. We've inherited so much sin from our families. Your family may be all dysfunctional, divorce, fighting, confusion. Your peers may be all strung out. Who knows where you are in the uh, continuum of being a good sinner in a bad world. But Christ said, believe in me. You don't have to work to get this bread. If you'll put your faith in me, Look to me. I'm in your midst. Believe in me. I'll give it to you freely. I won't make you work for it. Oh, that's good news. Oh, that's good news. I will not work my soul to save for that my Lord has done, but I'll work like any slave for the sake of love for God's dear son. But I will not work my soul to save. Nothing in my hand to thee I bring. Simply Simply to thy cross I cling. My own works are filthy rags. There's not one thing I could cough up to impress God enough to take me to heaven. My only claim is I trust him you gave and who was slain. He's my only righteous. I love it, saints. Hear me. 
I don't have to play like I'm the most righteous man in town. I just say I'm the most forgiven man in town. I'm going to heaven because I'm forgiven, not because I'm the best, not because I'm the epitome of anything. I'm trusting him whose righteousness has been imputed. And Luther said, it's an alien righteousness. It was not even my own. It came from another and imputed by faith. You that are listening ought to get happy. You that are texting, may God strike you with lightning. Uh, you believe on this, you'll never die. Uh, and I, I love this. Um, you have to say, Lord Jesus, to come and offer such a meal. Uh, you know, preaching, I had a precious note from a sister uh, that encouraged me to keep preaching that, you know, when 95%, I mentioned 95% of what I say, you won't know in a week. So sometimes I ask in the study, why prepare? If I got up and just uh, downloaded an outline from a computer and rattled 30 minutes, most of you wouldn't care. Oh, you couldn't get the, uh, uh, what the black preacher said, you need to add the arousements. You like the arousements. But you wouldn't know what I said, most of you, 95% of you. I think something else. I can never say I don't know, in 50 years of preaching, I couldn't say a 1,000 people were ever led to Christ by me. No, I couldn't say that. Maybe I'm just an idiot, but I like to hear myself talk. But I tried to evangelize for seven years, and uh, after a while, you get tired of making your wife answer the altar call every night. <laughs> you know, just say, honey, you got to come. We got to look good. Then I finally talked the pastor's wife into coming. It just didn't look good every night. And I said, no, that's not me. And I think of God the Son. Here, he's going to lose his audience at the end of this sermon. Everybody's going to go away. And he asked Peter, are you two going to leave me? Who eats the bread? Who wants the bread? I just point you to verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So number one, Nobody comes to this bread, but what the father doesn't get involved and say, son, I'm going to give you this person as a follower of yours. The father gives them. Uh, and then he goes down and he says something in verse 44 that is sure, uh, I don't know if you like it or not. It just, it's a stunning verse. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. He says I will raise him up about four times. I'm going to resurrect you. I'm going to resurrect you. There's a future resurrection. But he says right here, and by the way, as he's talking to his audience, that he knows they're not getting it. They're going to walk away from him. They get mad while they're listening because he said eat his flesh and blood. He said he's from heaven. They don't like it. They're mad. Whoever said preaching wasn't to be controversial? It was when Christ preached. And then he says, by the way, none of you are going to come to me anyway unless the Father draws you. I can't preach good enough to draw you. I, I'm not good enough. I'm the Son of God, the perfect God-man, 
and I can't even get you saved if my Father doesn't draw you. Yeah. What's this drawing? Well, it's an interesting word. The word raw, to draw here, was to always overcome resistance. It was used uh, in Greek of drawing a sword out of the scabbard. It was used in John of drawing in the net full of fishes, so you're overcoming the weight of the fish and you're drawing it in. It's used in James that rich men like to drag poor men into court. It was used in Acts 21 of dragging Paul and Silas into prison and jail. They just drug them in, overcome all resistance. And what he says here is no one less than the Father overcame our resistance to Jesus. Only the Father was able to make you see you need to come to my son. The father was involved in overcoming your stubborn, depraved will, your blindness. And sure, he incorporated the spirit, the word, preaching, many means. But Jesus said, no one's going to come to me that my father doesn't personally get involved with giving them and drawing them. I, I don't hear the language in our circles. Conservatives don't talk about it, but Carol and I sometimes, because you know, we've been Christians forever, and sometimes I'll ask her, I said, uh, we'll get to talking, what do you miss about church a lot of times? What do you miss? And she uses this kind of language. I miss Holy Ghost conviction, where he woos you, where he woos you, where he draws you where he overcomes your resistance. He overcomes your stubbornness. You keep saying, I got to sleep with this girl. That's the only thing that satisfies. And all of a sudden in a meeting, he overcame your resistance and broke you down and said, you know you're not satisfied. You know guilt and shame is your constant companion. Why don't you come? Why? Don't you ever ask, why didn't I come sooner? Why didn't I come sooner? You don't come any sooner than the drawing power of God. That's why we ought to be worried more about praying than preaching. Pray, oh Lord, convict them, draw them, draw them. Oh, the patience of God to draw you. My own brother was so broken, just in his 20s, but broken relationship, broken heart, all oh, the night. God broke him down. The night, you, my brother, nine years old, my sister Hazel said, she went to mama. She said, I, what happened to Paul? And my mama said, God saved him in Niles Canyon as a nine-year-old boy. What drew my old daddy behind a team of mules in the Grand River bottoms of Cherokee County, Oklahoma, and he's plowing that morning. I asked him, when you, did you start working? He said, when I knew the difference between the front end and the back end of a mule, and that was five. The eldest of ten kids, and he's plowing that morning, he says. And he came to the corner, and the elder sprouts were there. And he said, in a cornfield and a river bottom, God went after a nine-year-old boy. 
that had been at our brush harbor the night before where they sang, where shall I be, where shall I be when the last trumpet sounds, when it sounds so loud as to wake up the dead, oh, where shall I be? And he said, as I plowed that morning, from early in the morning, I kept talking to him all day, saying, where will I be? I'm going to be lost. I'm going to be lost. I want to be lost. And I stopped in that corner, and he quote my dad, that's where Jesus revealed himself to me. Friend, what did it take for God to draw you? When God draws you, that tugging, what gets me is the patience of God, the love of God to think that a little 95-year-old punk of a kid and myself could resist omnipotence. He said, oh, I'm just letting you resist until I decide I'm going to bring you in. And I brought you in at the appointed time. And you may be here and what you feel that you haven't felt around religion and what you haven't felt around this or that is the tug of omnipotence saying, come to my son. Come to the feast that will quench your thirst and your hunger for eternity. For when I was on the cross, I bore your hunger. I bore your thirst. When I screamed, I thirst. I'm thirsty for the living God. I don't want the vinegar. I don't want the gall. I don't want to drink from a Roman soldier. I want fellowship with God and that I'm experiencing the abandonment of God as if I were in hell. And in hell, men will say, I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. And friend, I'm here to say, our whole problem started in the garden where we ate the wrong thing. I'm calling you, why don't you come to the tree of life that was nailed up outside the city dump of Jerusalem and our Savior, the bread from heaven, was crucified and bled for you that he might feed you eternally. This is the feast that will quench your hunger forever. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. May he draw you. Our Father, do you still woo men? The Spirit brooded over the waters in Genesis and began to reform out of chaos, matter, and organization, and cosmos. We are chaotic, Lord, until you breathe on us. We are hungry till you feed us. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup, fill it up. Are you here today? And the Spirit of God is drawing you. Some young person, maybe some mom or dad that said, I'm here, but the bread's on the table, but you've never eaten it. You only get to eat the bread when you believe. You've got to get the bread in you. You could be in a, a, a warehouse full of bread and still die of starvation unless you eat the bread. And Jesus is saying, eat this bread. I'm the bread. Come by faith. Eat. Assimilate me. Invite me into your heart and life. And I'll keep my word that I will quench your thirst. He did it for a woman at the well that all the men relationships never could satisfy. She had to meet the bread, the water of life. Are you here today? And maybe 
Holy Spirit conviction is wooing you, saying, come, step out of your darkness, your hunger, your blindness. Take Jesus. I can't make you draw. I can't draw you. I'm not good enough. Is the Father drawing you? Is he tugging at you and saying, you've gone long enough. Today's the day for you to be changed eternally. I want to quench your hunger. Come. This is the day. Is there anyone here that says, I don't know Christ, but I want him. I want to know him. And you'll raise your hand, and we'll pray for you. Some of us pastors, we'll wait up in the front after the service. If we can help you, if we can explain the way more fully, we will. Are you here? Are you here? If he's drawing you, this is your day. If this poor preacher is begging you, I'll do the best I can, but only he can draw. Say, come, come unto me, all you that are burdened, heavy laden, hungry, empty, all. You've had abortions you've never felt forgiven for. You've had, you've been with a lot of guys, but never fulfilled. You've done a lot of sins, but never felt like you'd ever come to the soul cleanser. Why don't you come? Come to Christ in your heart first. You want to talk to us brothers afterwards, so be it about what must happen in your heart. I believe. And that will be like, I'm coming. I'm eating. I'm taking you, Christ, for all that you are. Your body, your death on the cross. I want the bread from heaven. And I'll live eternally. Oh, come. Oh, come. Be my breath. Be my voice. Be my hands and be my feet. Be my heart. Be my dreams. Lord, be everything to me.